This morning's scripture reading is from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. Uh, If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it is found on page 1165. Merry Christmas. If you are visiting with us this morning, you might be a little surprised that we are not doing a narrative of the birth of Christ, but instead we're looking at a New Testament letter. But I want to assure you that large portions of Scripture are given to discuss and look at the incarnation of Jesus, and this is one of those passages. This is one of those passages that gives us a deeper understanding of God coming into the world, being born as a baby boy. So let us study that together this morning. Uh, look at me, with me as I read Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, it is so easy during this time to think about the next thing, think about what we need to be doing, make a task list, but instead I ask you that you give us peace and patience and calmness during this time, that we look at the supremacy of your Son, that we look at what you have done on this world, that you have created us and sustained us and restored us, And that is a beautiful thing. And let us rejoice this morning that you have brought us into your kingdom and brought light to the world. In your name, amen. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the Christmas movies, all the TV specials. I love the singing and the caroling and how everyone seems to be an air of joyfulness, at least generally, if you're not in a mall, all right? And I, and I love, I love the food. Can we just all admit that the food is some of the best food of the year is during this season? So I, I love Christmas, and, and I'm a planner, so I make sure to write down everything I want to do. I make sure to write down everything that needs to get done. Now, now here's, here's the question. As a planner, as an organized person, as someone who really wants to make sure to go hard at Christmas, to make sure to get everything accomplished, what do you think happens, especially to the people around him, when a guy who is super organized wants to get a lot of stuff done? It turns into a series of tasks. We have to get the tree on Saturday, 9 a.m. It has to be up by 10 a.m., so that way I have enough time to decorate the tree. And listen, there's four weekends in December. We have eight Christmas movies to watch. On the third weekend, which two Christmas movies do you want to watch? As my wife, in the most loving way possible, has said to me, you have analyzed and scheduled the fun out of it. I have minimized the season, all the things that I want to do, into a series of task lists, into a series of goals, into a series of things to be accomplished, to actually get done with, to be over with. And here's the question for us, is is, is do you do that sometimes? And I'm not talking about Christmas time, I'm just talking about anything, where you look at the things in your life, you look at the things that should be enjoyed, the things that should be delighted in, the things that should be a, a, a thing where you look forward to it, and instead you look to it as sort of a thing to get done. 
a thing that you're not looking forward to because you just want to get it over with, that you, you minimize it to the point where it's no longer viewed in the right lens. Maybe it's a children's recital, maybe it's visiting in-laws, maybe it's just, it's just those things in your life that you say, hey, I know in my heart I should be enjoying this, but this is just something that I want to get over with. Well, this passage is actually a warning to us as well that, that sometimes we might do that with Jesus. And, and what Paul is warning to the church in Colossians is that there is false teaching going on, that there, is a, that there are people minimizing the supremacy of Christ. And instead, what he wants to do is present to us a true, deep, and rich understanding of Christ. So as you see, actually, the title of the passage for a lot of you in your Bible is the supremacy of Christ. So Paul does this by focusing on three aspects, and the three aspects that we're going to look at this morning. Christ as creator, Christ as sustainer, and Christ as our restorer. For, so first, Christ is our creator and king. This passage actually starts off with two main ideas that, that probably seem obvious in our minds, but our actions speak louder than what we believe. First, look at verse 15. It starts with this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? Well, it's actually not talking about Christ's birth here on earth. It's actually talking about one of status. So it's talking about one of which uh, the firstborn, the, the boy of the household back in Middle Eastern, um, uh, the Middle East, where, where he would own the land once the father died. He, he was going to be the ruler. He was going to be in charge. He was going to be the one to take care of the estate. So what happens is, is it's actually saying that Christ is the firstborn over what kingdom? Creation. It's his kingdom. It's the universe of all of creation. Christ is the king, and we are a part of his creation, and he is the ruler of that creation. Not only that, not only is Christ king of creation, but it is by Christ all things were made. It is actually encouraging us to go back to Genesis 1 in our Bibles and see that in the beginning, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he created the heavens and the earth. And, and so Christ's hand, Christ's artistry, Christ's work is seen throughout all of creation because Christ is the one who created it. And this might seem obvious to us. It might seem obvious. All right, Christ created it and Christ is king. It might seem obvious to the people in the Colossian church that, all right, Christ is king and Christ is ruler. It might even be obvious to those who don't believe in God. If we said to them, hey, if, if you did believe in God, hypothetically, would you say that if there was a God, he probably created the world, and he probably is the ruler over it. And they go, yeah, I'll give that to you. That's, that's probably true. So we got it. Christ is creator. Christ is king. Let's move on. But, but before we move too quickly, I think this text is here because the people that Paul were writing to missed this crucial point, and we miss it as well. Because there are times where we miss the glory of creation and we find our meaning outside of the kingship of God. So why is it so important to recognize Christ as creator? Well, creation speaks of God's glory. It speaks of God's work. It, it's sort of similar if you went to uh, an art show and you saw an artist at work, you'd be able to look at separate paintings and you would say, oh, I start seeing similar techniques that this artist is using. Or if you read a, a series of literal, literary novels and about, about an author, and you said, oh, I, I start to see themes develop. 
This is the same thing with creation, is we get to look outside, we get to look at the beauty of creation and say, there's an artist at work. There's, there's a creator at work. There's something greater than ourselves at work. So, so when we look at creation, we get to see that there's a creative hand, that there's a supremacy, and there's a depth to creation. And, and there are two aspects of creation that we can look at. One is the depth, and number two is the beauty. So first, the depth of creation. Now, now science is not my strong suit. I am not a scientist. I did not. I, I think I only took one class of science in college because it was required, and I think I pass-failed it. You know, I got, you know, I, I didn't even, it's just a passed class. I don't even get a grade for it. I just passed it. So I'm not good at science, but I know people who love to look at the depth and the science of creation. They, they see how everything works together in such a way that, it, that there's life-sustaining work in creation, that this is all able to come together, that the universe was created and there's not planets colliding into one another or that we're able to live here on this planet. And the simple illustration that I got from a friend was, he said, all right, uh, let's suppose I take 10 pennies and I number them one through 10 and I put them in my pocket. What's the probability that I pull out penny number one? would be one out of 10, right? But now let's say I put it back in my pocket and I attempt to pull out penny number two in that order, penny number one, penny number two. What's the odds of that? It's about one out of 100. Now let's say I try to pull out all 10 pennies in order from number one to 10, putting them back in my pocket. What is the probability that I would do that in one chance? It's about one in 400 million. And that's just some stupid pennies. Now we look at creation and we say, what's the probability of this happening? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I don't know the math. But I know that there is a depth to creation and the way that it's created and the way that everything's formed together is amazing and is something that we should marvel at and something that we need to look at and say, wait a second, there's something greater here at work. This isn't just some randomness that has taken place, that luck of the draw. This is that there's a creator that has made this work. And not only is there a depth to creation, but there's a beauty to creation. One of the things that I love is during this time, especially when you're around little kids, and what happens when you look outside and, and white stuff starts falling from the sky. Snow! It's snowing! Look, it's snowing out, everybody! It's snowing! Now, it would be pretty weird if I just look over and I go, well, Johnny, that is actually just water molecules that have become so dense in the clouds that they're now falling. And soon it will blanket the earth, but that's not really beautiful. That will just melt back into water particles and furnish the ground so that way it can live. That would be weird because we, we're missing the beauty of creation. And that's why we don't do that with sunsets. We don't do that with sunrises. We go to exotic locations. We go to forests. We go to mountaintops. We go to beaches because we say there is something beautiful about this. There is something amazing what I'm looking at. And in both cases, the revelation of God is at work in his creation. In all of nature, we gain some sense of understanding, some knowledge that there is something greater than ourselves, that deep down in our hearts, we know that there's something more going on out there than we could possibly imagine, and that there is a knowledge that there is a God who has created us, and we are his creation. And if that's the case, then this God who created us, the one who created us, is no doubt king of our lives, is king over us, all right? But the problem with that and the problem with us is that we don't always acknowledge that. There have been times in our life where we don't acknowledge God as creator and king. 
If we are his creation, then we were created for a purpose. We have meaning. You were all created for a purpose. You all have a purpose to this world, all right? But, if, but the problem is, is that we seek out that purpose. We seek out that meaning in other things. We look to the things of this world. We look to, to either objects or desires of this world, and we say, if only I get this thing, then I will find my hope, and I will find my joy, and I will find my meaning. And I think we have to recognize that even if you don't believe in God, you know that you're searching for meaning. You know that you're searching for some reason to be alive, some reason to be moving forward, some reason not to just be here, but something to do, something that you were created for. And we all do it. Even in our young age, we do it where we search out meaning or purpose or happiness or joy. Um, think about little kids, or, or I should start with this. Think about the best gift you ever received at Christmas. The best gift. What are you thinking about? All right? And now, what happens to little kids when they want the best gift they ever received at Christmas? They start begging for it, right? If mom and dad, this is the one gift that I want out of anything in the world. If you just give me this one gift, I'll be happy. I'll be happy forever. I will, I will be so content. This is the one gift I want, right? I asked a teenager recently, I said, what was, what was the best gift you ever received at Christmas? And he said, it was a book about cars. And I said, do you still have that book? He goes, no, it was, it was for little kids. And I go, all right, but what did you think when you got that book? He goes, oh, I, th I thought it was the best thing ever. And I said, what did you say to your parents before you got the book? He goes, I begged for weeks for that book. I wanted it so bad. I thought it would make me happy. And it did for a little while. But then it ended because it was a fleeting happiness. And we're older now and we do the same thing, right? We think in our minds, if, if I just get this job or if I just get this relationship or if this thing happens, if this gets done, then I'll be happy. I, life will be better. I, I'll be content. But that's not true because it's just going to be the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So what happens is we're all searching for meaning in this world because we have been created for a meaning. We have been created for a purpose. That's not the wrong aspect here. The wrong aspect is that we try to find meaning outside of the one who has created us. That says, I am your king. I will guide you. I will be the one to show you the way. There is a reason to live, and it's so much more important than popularity or money or success or fame or relationships. It is for us to look to our creator and king and find our purpose for life in him. And if we find our purpose of life in him, not only do we see him as creator and king, but we also see him as our source and sustainer of life. Look back at verses uh, 17 and 18. Verse 17 says this, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Not only does Christ create us, but he sustains us in all things. And the key word here is all things. All things. Everything. Everything in our lives. Even the smallest thing, he is in control. There is nothing outside of God's control. Look at creation. Look at the mountaintops. He's in control. Look at your life and the, the, the little things of your life, whether that's uh, going to the grocery store. He's in control. All right? And on the one hand, the beautifulness of this is the fact that we do not descend into chaos. We do not 
It's, it's, we do not implode. We, we, there is no chance in our lives to all of a sudden derail it so badly that there's, there's no way for God to rescue us. And on the other hand, what it promises us as well is that if we are under God's kingship, if we put ourselves under his, his rule, if we say and admit that he is our king, then he promises us that we will flourish. And this is the story of the whole Bible, and it's actually the story of Christmas that every step of the way, God is sustaining us. God is the source of our life. And it's, what's wonderful is, is creation is not a wind-up toy of God's. He didn't wind us up and just let us go and see what happens. No, he's with us every step of the way, and if that happened, we would be in so much trouble. Throughout Scripture, we actually get to see, and throughout our lives, we get to see that God does not abandon his creation but continues to sustain it. Right towards the beginning of the creation, we see that God looks down and he sees that every man's heart is filled with malice and envy and strife and murder. And what he does is he does not allow that to continue, but he ceases it by sending a flood. But he doesn't just destroy his creation and end it. He actually sends a way to continue, and that's through Noah. And not only that, but the Israelites who are supposed to be in a covenant relationship with God, one that is supposed to be where they find their purpose alone in life in him, they abandon it. And they look to other gods, they look to other things to find meaning. And God doesn't just abandon them in the process. He doesn't say, well, you've abandoned me, so I abandon you. No, even though they are sent into exile, he promises to deliver and rescue them. And when we look at things outside of our own lives, when we look to things for meaning and purpose outside of God, he does not throw up his hands and say, you've messed up. I'm done with you. No, he, he sends a Savior. And that's the aspect of Christ that we highlight through Christmas time, is that a Savior has come. Who will save us? God himself. And it says, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not only did God create us, but he sustains us and his creation. We can't do this life on our own. We, we are swayed by too many things. We are like a ship in the waves, just moving back and forth between thing and thing and looking for purpose and looking for meaning. We look for other things. We need a Savior who will anchor us who will f have us find our contentment alone in him to bring us back. And in the beginning of creation, God says, if you worship me alone, you will find life. And him, that's, we will find our purpose alone in him. And he says, if you worship anything else, you will find death. Because outside of a source of life, if, if we are not near a well of living water, we will die. And because of sin, we try. Because of sin, we try to find this life-giving well in other things. But it's a path of death. And we need someone who is going to rescue us, who is going to bring us back, who is going to rescue our lives, pay for our sins, sustain us. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Born a baby so he may live the perfect life that we should have lived and die the death that we deserve to die. And the story of Christmas, what's wonderful is the story of Christmas has one main character, Jesus. And it has a bunch of sub-characters. It has Mary, Joseph, the, the wise men, the shepherds. And that's the same with our lives. Our lives have one main character, and that's Jesus. And we are a sub-character. 
So in the story of Christmas, how do all the sub-characters react when they see Jesus? It's worship. It's worship. And, and it, says, it actually says that their hearts are full of joy. It's, it's as if they've never seen anything so beautiful in their life. And our response needs to be the same, one of worship, worship and enjoying Christ's kingship. Our purpose of life, this, this is going to be our purpose for life, and a purpose for all eternity is to worship God, to worship God and enjoy him forever, because Christ created us, and Christ sustains us, and Christ will be the source of our life. He is our purpose. He is the one who's going to strengthen and build us up. So how do we worship? Well, if you are here this morning and you have never worshiped God before, you have never recognized him as your God, then this is a time to recognize God as your king, as you are his creation, and you recognize that you have found your purpose outside of him. But now you say, I, I no longer want to search for meaning in my job, search for meaning in relationship. I no longer want to be swayed by the waves of this world, but instead I want to come and I want to find something that will give me joy for the rest of my life. And all of us right now are actually worshiping God. Look back at verse 18. The start of it, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the church. It's, it's not that you are coming here to hear a pastor speak. It's not here that you're coming here to hear a band play. It's you are coming here to worship God and submit to him. And when we join together in worship, we are all confessing together with one voice that Christ is king that we are praising him for his unfailing love, that we are coming to him in confession when we fail, and that we are asking him to continue to lead us through the dark times in our life. And the hard part for us is that sometimes we minimize the significance of Christ as our sustainer and Christ as the head of the church, because it's really easy to view worship as a task, as just another thing in our life. I mean, during Christmas time, there's that, that, you know, the date hits like usually around December 20th where you all of a sudden you go, oh, we forgot to get Uncle Frank a gift. Where are you right now? You're at the mall? Yankee Candle. Let's get him a candle. We'll get him a candle. We'll be done with it, right? But we forget the purpose of gift giving. We, we, don't we need to take the step back and say, wait, the purpose of giving a gift to this other person is, is we are thanking them for the friendship. We are thanking them for the relationship. We are recognizing, wait a second, you are someone special in my life. You, you, have, you have brought joy to my life, and I want to give you something to recognize that, and I want to give you something that you'd actually enjoy. But don't we do the same thing sometimes? Ugh, it's too early to go to worship. Ugh, community group? I don't think so. Ugh, the pastor's going to mention that there's new Sunday school classes this week, and I really don't want to go to them. There's a hint there. Um, what happens is, is that we need to take a step back, and we need to recognize that our purpose is not to get this stuff done. Our purpose is not to just have this be another task in our calendar. We need to step back and recognize that this is the worship of God, that we need to understand who God is and that he has brought us to a church in which we get to worship together with one voice, in which we get to go to Sunday school and learn more about his love for us and his meaning in our life. And we get to go to community groups in which he holds us accountable 
in which I get to go and I get to ask for prayer and ask for help, and also that other people look at me and say, when you are in a dark time, I will be there for you because God has put me in your life. So what we need to do is if, we, if we're struggling with that, if we're having a hard time of viewing worship appropriately, then what we need to do is we need to reflect on who God is, on what He has done, and the ways that He has worked in and around our hearts. And that will make our hearts grow fresh with the love of God. I have to go to church because I have to be with my Savior, the creator and sustainer of my life. And finally, we get to see Christ as our restorer. We have seen Christ as the creator of us and the world. And we, get, and we turn to Christ because he's the sustainer of us and the world. And finally, we find our hope in Christ because he is the restorer of us and the world. Look back at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. This is highlighting the aspect in which Christ died and Christ rose again. It's about his resurrection. Not only did God appear to us as a baby boy, not only physically did God walk this earth and do his ministry, not only did physically God get killed on the cross, but God, Christ, physically rose from the dead. This is not him in which uh, the apostles saw him in a dream. This is not where he left a goodbye note. No, this is him physically appearing to the apostles. And, and this is a physical resurrection, and this is amazing news for us because this is an aspect in which it is a renewed body of Christ, and what is highlighted here is actually a promise for us and for this whole world that there will be a renewed creation that Christ will come as our restorer once again, and he will be the firstborn from the dead, and we will be born from the dead as well. The same hope that is reflected on the season, that a Savior has come, is the same hope that we have now, that a Savior is coming and the whole world will be restored. And now, it's so easy during Christmas time to reflect upon how wonderful that is. The lights and music of this season can make some of the coldest and darkest nights of the year seem like the warmest and brightest. But the problem for us is not when there's physical darkness outside. The problem for us is when there's darkness in our lives, the darkness that no words can truly express. What happens when devastation rocks your world? A death of a loved one, a loss of a job, a broken relationship. Physically, it might be sunshine and rainbows and birds chirping outside, but inside, you are crumbling. There is turmoil. How do you hope? It can only be in the one that pierces the darkness, the light of the world, our restorer, Jesus Christ. His act of resurrection, his promise that death will not be the end, that sadness will not be the end, that pain will not be the end. Jesus wept, and we will at times mourn as well, but we don't mourn as those with no hope. We have our hope on the restorer, on the hope built on the creator, 
our hope built on our sustainer who will make all things new again make it right he has brought us life now he will bring us life in the future and give us life to the full and as we come to the table this morning let's not forget that this is a part of worship this is not a task this is not something to get done it is given to us by the incarnated jesus christ to sustain us and strengthen us and encourage us in our faith and as we walk through the passage this morning i, I hope you see that each verse pushed us forward in the point that we are to lean on christ alone that it is important for all of us to understand that christ is our creator sustainer and restorer over all of creation over us especially he is the incarnated god and he is the mediator between god and humanity let us pray heavenly father we thank you this morning that we get to come to you in worship that we do not have to uh, be perfect that we don't have to uh, find our meaning in different things that we don't have to complete a series of tasks in order to worship you but instead we don't this is not a task this is a beautiful time of worship in which we get to be a part of your kingdom where we get to look to you as creator sustainer and restorer and for those of us who are going through hard times especially during the christmas season we pray that you give them hope that you encourage them to place their hope in you alone and not the things of this world thank you for bringing this table in front of us that we get to worship you together with one voice in your name, amen. This is the table of Jesus Christ, and we hear that in the story of the gospel. The Savior who was born as the Savior who came to give his life on the cross. So we read in the gospel of Luke, within the hour came,